If you would please turn to your Bibles to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, if you're visiting with us today, we have been in a sermon series this Advent season looking at John chapter 1 verses 1 through 18 that's called the prologue as we have been looking at the incarnate deity. God became flesh. And so today we're going to begin the final portion of John's prologue here. Uh, We have seen as we've worked our way through this prologue, the story of redemption. And this story of redemption uh, plays out throughout this passage. As John tells us, we have seen the glory of the Word made flesh who dwelt among us. And so the whole point of of Christmas and why we have been studying these truths this Advent season is because the story of redemption culminates in this reality, that God became a man, that He was born in Bethlehem, and He was born to save His people from their sins. That is what the Gospel of Matthew records for us in chapter 1. And now in just one verse, verse 18, John chapter 1, verse 18, we will see the truth that all of reality, all of history, all of our hopes and our dreams rest on seeing the one who is the image of the invisible God. And so all hell, the incarnate deity, the Word made flesh. Hear now God's holy word to us in John chapter 1, verse 18. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. Pray with me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Give us this day thy daily bread from the words of Holy Scripture. Feed us and nourish us by your word of truth. Help us to see Jesus, our Savior and our King. And Lord, help us this day to worship him. For it is in his name that we pray. Amen. I had the uh, honor and the privilege of attending Reform Theological Seminary in Jackson, Mississippi for my seminary education. And of course, part of my seminary training was learning to preach God's Word. And so we took preaching classes. It was a great place to learn to preach as there was a chapel on campus called Grace Chapel. And it was an old-style chapel with pews in a very high pulpit. Uh, It was a very intimidating place to preach because in this Puritan-style old pulpit, the seminary student would descend about 10 to 12 steps to take his place up there in the high pulpit and have plenty of time to pray and change his mind before he got there to the top. (laughs) As a nervous seminary student, uh, learning to preach and learning to communicate in front of people Uh, There was something on that pulpit that was there to ground the man who was about to preach God's Word. There was something on that pulpit 
to remind him of why he was there and what he was called to do. You see, at the bottom of that pulpit was a little plaque. And on that plaque had these words inscribed, these enduring words that I will never forget. From John chapter 12, verse 21, the words, Sir, we would see Jesus. Sir, we would see Jesus. Those words were there to remind the preacher of what his calling was, why he was there. It was to hold forth the words of life in the Holy Scriptures so that people would see Jesus. And that is at the heart of the Apostle John's opening prologue here in John chapter 1, so that you and I would know God and that we would know God through believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're looking at just one verse this morning, verse 18. It's an incredible sentence. It's, it's full of, of wonder and beauty and theology and mystery, perhaps full of more truth and more beauty than any verse that we've studied so far in John's prologue. And that's saying a lot because this whole passage has been chock full of truth and beauty of Christ. This verse proclaims something amazing to us. It tells us that the infinite and invisible God has been made visible. Think about that. The infinite and invisible God, he's been made visible to us. And so following the logic of this one verse, we see that there is a problem presented to us. And of course, there's a solution that follows this problem. The truth that we're to take away from this verse, verse 18, is this, that no one has seen God. That's the problem. No one has seen God, but the solution is, in Christ, we can see God. So that's the truth that we'll look at this morning. We're going to slow down and digest and chew on each word and phrase of this verse so that we can have understanding, but most importantly, so that we can worship, so we can focus our hearts and our minds on Christ. So let's look firstly at the problem. John states very matter-of-factly here in verse 18, no one has ever seen God. It's presented as a factual problem to us, a fact. No one has seen God. But have you ever thought to yourself, if I could just see God, if I could just see God, then I would believe and I would have a stronger faith. Have you ever thought that before? Because seeing is believing, right? If we could just see God, we would have a stronger faith. But the problem with that line of thinking is that the Scriptures tell us no one can see God and live. No one can see God and live. Those were the words spoken by Yahweh God to Moses on Mount Sinai. Moses made an audacious request to Almighty God when he said, Will you show me your glory? Show me your glory, God. And God told him that it was not possible 
for mankind to see the unfiltered, uncloaked, white-hot glory of God because man would die, would be obliterated at the sight of that much glory. The prophet Isaiah had a similar experience as he records in Isaiah chapter 6 that he was caught up in a vision and he was in the temple of the Lord. And he describes the glorious presence of the Lord as the train of his robe filled the temple. And he was in awe at the glory of just the train of the robe of Almighty God. And what did he say in response to this glory sight? He said, woe is me. I am ruined. I am undone, Isaiah said. What was he saying in our modern vernacular? He was as good as dead. He was as good as dead. And then the Apostle John records later a similar experience in Revelation chapter 1. He wrote that book. And he records seeing in a vision the glory of the resurrected Christ. And what happens when he sees the glory of the resurrected Christ? He records, I fell at his feet as though dead. These are the experiences of the people of God throughout the Bible when they are face to face with the presence of a holy God. They are not pleasant experiences. They were not trips to Disney World. They were terrifying experiences because no one can see God and live. J.C. Ryle said, The eye of mortal man has never beheld God the Father. No man could bear the sight. Now, to be clear, the Old Testament specifically does record for us what is called theophanies. Theophanies, the word theos means God. These are appearances of God or visible manifestations of God in some shape or some form like the glory cloud or the fiery pillar on Mount Sinai. But these manifestations, these theophanies, they were not full and complete manifestations of God, but only partial revelations. And this is why John records for us in verse 18 that no one has ever seen God. That is the problem he presents to us. And so if no one has seen God, then how can we know him? How can we know God? How can we truly know and believe in God if we cannot see him? Well, that is where the solution is presented to us. And I'll state it this way. Jesus is the exegesis of God. Jesus is the exegesis of God. Now, I'm going to explain to you what that means here in just a moment. So John records for us that though no one has ever seen God, there is one. He says, the only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known to us. There is one who is the only God who is at the Father's side who has made him known to us, John says. 
This is reaffirming the truth that we've already studied in great detail, that Jesus is God. He is the second person of the Godhead. He's the the Son of God, truly God, truly man, very God of very God, equal in power and in glory. He is God. And we're told more here in this verse about the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. When John says that he's the only son or the only begotten son of God who is at the Father's side. Some of the older translations say it this way, that he is in the bosom of the Father. This expression, the, the bosom, is an expression that the Bible uses to refer being near the heart and the soul, in closest relationship to, kind of caught up in. Listen to the way John Calvin explains it. He says, when, when Christ says that the Son was in the bosom of the Father, the metaphor is barred from men who are said to receive into their bosom those whom they communicate all their secrets. The breast is the seat of counsel. He therefore shows that the Son was acquainted with the most hidden secrets of his Father in order to inform us that we have the breast of God, as it were, laid open to us in the gospel. Jesus is the only begotten Son of God who is at the Father's side, who is one with him. And John says he has made him known to us. Now, this phrase that we find in verse 18 is very fascinating when it says that Jesus Christ has made known the invisible God. Jesus has made known the invisible God to us. Jesus has made known God the Father to us. The word for making God known is the Greek word exegemi. And it's where we get our English word exegesis. Now, most of you probably not used that word in the sentence this week, but try it out. See how it goes. See what reaction you get with somebody. <laughs> exegesis simply means to interpret Scripture. It means to understand the meaning of something and explain it. So to exegete something is to bring out the meaning. And so our pastors and our Bible teachers here at Cornerstone do this all the time. They exegete Scripture to teach it to us, to bring out its meaning and its application. And so the purpose of biblical exegesis is to clarify the meaning of what is inherent to a biblical text. And so what John is saying here in verse 18, what he is telling us is that Jesus is the exegesis of God. Now, this is where our English language is so confusing, right? And I know our international brothers and sisters going, y'all have got to get your language. Y'all have too much that sounds alike. So it's Jesus, his name, is the exegesis, spelled totally differently. (laughs) He's the exegesis of God. In other words, Christ alone explains, interprets, and exposits for us who God is. John tells us in verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. 
and we have seen his glory. The glory of the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made the Father known to us. Christ reveals the Father to us. One scholar said, in Jesus Christ, God is known to us. In Jesus Christ, God himself has come to us. And so all that we need to know or all that we could ever know in this life about God the Father is revealed to us by God the Son. And so the apostle is saying something very remarkable to us here in this verse. He is saying that Jesus Christ is the exegesis of God. In other words, the invisible, hidden God has been revealed to us in the one who was born in Bethlehem. Christ alone is the only one qualified to be the interpreter or the exegete of God. Listen to how other places in the scriptures explain this truth to us. They explain it very emphatically. The apostle Paul says in Colossians 1 verse 15 about Christ, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. The writer of Hebrews puts it this way in Hebrews 1 verse 3. He, that is Christ, is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And then listen to the very testimony of Jesus himself. In John chapter 12, verse 45, when he says, And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. And then again in John 14, verse 9, Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. You hear what Christ is saying? Whoever has seen him has seen the Father. So what the New Testament is teaching us that before Christ, no one truly saw God. They saw theophanies and other representations, but not truly God. But in Christ, in the Lord Jesus Christ, we learn all that our finite minds can bear about God, all that we can understand. All that is true of God is represented for us through the Lord Jesus Christ. In the person and the work of Jesus, God is made known to us. He is the exegesis of God. And that is why, that is why we make such a big deal about the Lord Jesus Christ. Because it is in him that we learn to know and to love God. And so with this conclusion of John's prologue, we have a wonderful picture of the incomparable Christ. There is no one like him. And we have seen the heights and the depths and the length and the beauty of the Godhead, the Godhead three and one. And we have learned more about Jesus, who he is and what he came to do. 
And the point of this grand Christology is not so that we can feel smarter, not so that we can walk out of here more self-righteous, nor should we be unmoved about what we learn of Christ. We are learning these truths. We are proclaiming these truths so that you and I would follow the Lord Jesus Christ and worship him. Follow him and worship him. You see, Christianity is not about following a religion. It's not about a good way to live your life and raise your children. Christianity is not something you do so that you can be more successful in life. Nor is Christianity just a mere philosophical way of living. Being a Christian is about following a person. And his name is Jesus. Being a Christian is about following the Lord Jesus Christ. It is about believing that he was born of the Virgin Mary, that he was crucified, that he died, that he was buried, and that he was raised again. It's about believing that he is who he said he was. He is the Savior. He's the one who has come to rescue us from the darkness. I know that many of you have seen the the hit series, The Chosen. Most of you told me about it. I'm late to the party. This television series, The Chosen, is about the days of Jesus' earthly ministry. I really appreciate the creators of, of that series stating that Scripture is the only source of truth when it comes to the life and ministry of Jesus. And this television series is not to be a substitute for that. But I also appreciate how well done the series is, how they're trying to capture what it may have been like during Jesus' time on, on earth. One of the episodes where I think they really got it right is showing the backstory of Mary Magdalene. We don't know all the story of Mary Magdalene's life. What we do know about her is that she was a very important disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, a huge part of his earthly ministry. But you see, Mary Magdalene, she was a wreck. In the modern vernacular, they might say she was a hot mess. She was demon-possessed, and she had problems, kind of like a lot of us right? And at some point in her life, she was healed by the Lord Jesus Christ. And her healing shocked everyone, right? Because when a woman is walking around town demon-possessed, you know when something changes. (laughs) Her life was radically changed because she was healed by Jesus. And in the series, someone asked her, Mary, What happened to you? How are you changed? And this is what she said. All I know is that I was one way. And now I'm completely different. 
and it was because of him. All I know is I was one way before, and now I'm completely different. It was because of Jesus. I think many of us could say that same thing when we first met Christ. That's what we're talking about here. That's why we've gathered here on the Lord's Day to worship and to meet with the Lord Jesus Christ and to follow Him because He is God and He has made God known to us. We know God, we experience God, we have communion with God through the Lord Jesus Christ who has made Him known to us. And so today, if you're here and you think that, that I'm just here because I think it's a good idea to go to church at Christmas time, I hope you will not leave here without meeting the Lord Jesus Christ. Because once you do, your life will be completely different. I can promise you that. You won't be perfect, you'll still have problems. You'll still have issues you have to work through, right? Head nod, we're all there, right? We're all, we're all being sanctified. But you'll no longer be alone because you'll have the Spirit of Christ in you and you'll have the fellowship of other followers of Christ to help you on your journey. The Bible says Jesus is the only God there are no other gods. There's no other way to God the Father except through the Son. You cannot be your own God. There is but one God only. And he was born about 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem. He is God in the flesh. He is God with us. We remember that at Christmas time. He is Emmanuel, God with us. In Christ, God has revealed to us that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, that no one comes to the Father except through Him. Won't you follow Jesus this day if you never have? I pray that after hearing this testimony, that you would believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and by believing, you would have life in His name. Merry Christmas to you. Let's pray. Oh God, our Heavenly Father, we just pause right there and thank you that we can call you our Father. And we know that we can call you our Father because of the Lord Jesus Christ who has made you known. Thank you that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us and we can see your glory because of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that he would increase and that we would decrease. We pray that you would give us grace to love him and to know him more. For we pray it in his name. Amen.